Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to another installment of History Hack. I'm very excited today because I have with me medievalist and writer Thor Ewing, and this is brilliant. So we're actually going to be talking about a little bit of a cross between history, history and literature here in medieval terms, because we're going to talk all about the legend of Robin Hood. Thor, welcome. Hello. Nice to meet you. I'm so excited about this. Let's just get it out of the way now. I was a small child when Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves came out. I loved every second of it. Uh, I will, we're slightly, I think maybe slightly going to vindicate the nonsense uh, today in one tiny respect. Uh, you'll probably scream at me for saying that, but I, we'll get to that and we'll okay. discuss it. But um, Robin Hood and also my favourite Disney film of all time is the one with the fox. Do you know I've never seen the Disney film? You have and to. Really? Many people, it, yeah, lots of people, that is where the legend begins for them, but I, I've actually never seen it. So where does the legend begin for you? How did you get into this? Um, gosh, I think it was Ladybird books. Oh. Uh, so yeah, when I was, when I was very little, I was, I was reading Ladybird books about Robin Hood. And, um, so that's, yeah, and then I, I watched, the Errol Flynn movie. I remember that was shown on television. Yes. And, um, cause that was, that was in the seventies and really it was before the sort of the, the new, the more modern films of Robin Hood came out and Disney film was maybe the first of those. A bit older. Was that made in the sixties or was it early seventies? I'm, I'm not, not sure. sure. It's about 71. Because I had, um, <laughs> I had little, have you ever seen these things where you have little um sort of disc with cogs on it and you put your pen in a certain place and you follow the cogs around and it draws a picture? Ah, oh, no, I didn't have one of those. I had right. a Robin Hood fuzzy felt. Sorry. I had a Robin Hood fuzzy felt, though. Do you remember those? Gosh, you know, I think I had nonsense. Robin Hood fuzzy felt. Yeah, the nonsense bit of card with the fuzzy felt on, and then you yeah. had the felt characters and you could move them. Oh, what a load of nonsense. Someone made a fortune out of that rubbish. Well, yeah, but kids <laughs> loved it, didn't they? I mean, I loved it. I remember I doing did, it I think one of the more recent things was the Hod novel, wasn't it, by Adam Thorpe. I just didn't get on with that. Mm. I tried again and again, and it just was not for me. Yeah, and I think that's quite interesting because he felt that he was presenting a more authentic medieval version. I was very excited about it, but I just could not get on with the writing. I think he's a very, he's got a very unique way of writing and um, it just mm. suit me that one. Yeah. Well, also, I mean, he, he wanted to, to present Robin Hood as more of a, um, more of a hard man, uh, like a villain, I think, didn't yeah. he? And, um, and actually, that's not what I get from the medieval sources 
Let's do this. Right. I'm really excited about this. When in history do we first hear the name Robin Hood? And is it just Robin Hood or is it like a, a different version of it? Well, the first time that um, we get the idea of Robin Hood as a, a sort of legendary hero mm-hmm. is in 1377. And it's a poem called Piers Plowman. And there's a character in that called Sloth. They're all sort of lots of allegorical characters. And Sloth, of course, is slothful. And um, one of the things he says is, um, I don't know my paternoster, my Lord's Prayer, as the priest may say it. But I know rhymes of Robin Hood and Randolph Earl of Chester. And so that's that's the first reference to the legend that we have. But that doesn't talk about... um the actual legend does it so can you tell us about some of the early sources so i'm talking like before 1500 how reliable are they and what do they tell us about this robin hood that he's referencing well it's always a tricky thing to talk about reliability when when this is a legend yeah and um so if you legend is sort of on the cusp of history and and my view has has very much become in the last year that that there is something in it there's there really is something behind it but a lot of people regard robin hood as a fictional character and so you know for them reliability would wouldn't make sense but there are references from uh 1400 and the early 1400s in little you know there are proverbs and and so on that mention robin hood and then in the middle of the 1400s you start to get poems written down about Robin Hood. Now, some of these poems are probably rather older, hmm. um, but they've probably also been, you know, kept up to date and people don't want to tell it just as it was told before, but the stories are retold. And the most significant of these is is called The Jest of Robin Hood, sometimes called The Little Jest of Robin Hood, but it is the biggest poem that there is about Robin Hood. It's It's hundreds of verses long. And um, so that's from the the middle of the 1400s, and it tells quite a long and intricate story about Robin Hood, probably bringing together different ideas and making them all into one coherent story. And also from the 1400s, there's a story called uh, Robin Hood and the Potter, and another called Robin Hood and the Monk. And so these are these are the sort of stories that tell the legend. And then there are three chroniclers as well that um, talk about him before 1500 or or maybe I should say two chroniclers and one little footnote that someone has added to a chronicle mm. so those are those are the sources um, I'd say the the chroniclers seem fairly convinced that Robin Hood is a real person right um, and so that's you know the these are some of our earliest sources and and they see him as as real that it doesn't seem to occur to them that he might not be real and one of them in particular has lots of sort of circumstantial detail as well so you know he seems he seems to know what he's talking about how do they describe him would we recognize this character as the fox from the disney film or <laughs> kevin costner um well, he wasn't a fox, 
But um, I think if you had found yourself transported to the forests of medieval England and Robin or his merry men jumped out in front of you, then if they were as described in these poems from the 1400s, you'd recognise who they were. You'd know that this was Robin Hood or you'd probably even recognise, you know, oh, well, that must be Little John. Um, These are... These are the same characters that that crop up and they'd be dressed in green, possibly brown. They might have a bit of red about them, too. But um, Lincoln Green, which is, you know, still associated with Robin Hood, is part of it. And they rob. They mainly rob the the very rich. So the very rich churchmen, um, in particular, very rich churchmen. And um, also, of course, there's the feud with the Sheriff of Nottingham. And there's also the stories of them giving things as well. So they go back to the Middle Ages too. Where should we put him? Because there's a bit of conflict, isn't there? Because of the various sources where he appears, it's not exactly clear. Like with Adam Thorpe, he put him very far back, didn't he, in history? Uh, But where does he belong, do you think? The, The date. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, the three references in Chronicles from the 1400s all say that he lived in the late 1200s. Okay. So there's a kind of clear consensus that he's dated to the late 1200s. Um, I think... So the earliest reference, Andrew Winton puts him somewhere at 1283. Um, Walter Bauer says uh, 1266 and afterwards. And um, then there's a this anonymous footnote on Higdon's Polychronicon that has him more like the 1290s. So 13th century. So really, we're looking at about 100 years before we see the first surviving reference to him is when he's around. Yeah. Yeah. So that I mean, I think that's quite reasonable as well. It's 100 years is long enough for him to become a a legendary hero. Um, You know, if he was some people date him in the 1300s and that just doesn't seem to allow enough time to me for for him to become this sort of hero of legend. And, um, yeah, also it, it sort of fits with a lot of other evidence, it seems to me. But it does wipe out this connection that I definitely assume uh, between him and Richard the Lionheart then, doesn't it? Because that's, he's too late. Yeah, he's yeah. too late. Um, so the, I think everyone thinks of Robin Hood as part of the Richard the Lionheart story. Um, and it's with a certain amount of sadness that you you have to let go of Richard the Lionheart. That first comes in in the 1500s. And there's another chronicler called um, John Mayer or John Major. And um, he basically says, everything I know about Robin Hood comes from the ballads that people sing about him. And I guess he must have lived in the days of Richard the Lionheart. And since then, this chronicle became much more widely read than the earlier chronicles. And since then, that's been the date that people have given to Robin Hood. 
I think I can kind of let go of the Richard the Lionheart thing, but that means obviously we have to let go of the King John thing, which means no grumbly lion sucking his thumb. Um, that makes me sadder, I think, than losing Richard the Lionheart. That because John John is just after that, so again he's still sort of eighty, seventy five, eighty years too early um, for him to to fit together with Robin Hood, isn't he? Yeah, but one of the things about the legend is that there is a sort of a link, mm. in a way, a tenuous link maybe with King John. But what we think of as King John is is Magna Carta. And how he was opposing the rights of the people. He was trying to draw power to himself in a sort of royal tyranny. And the barons were saying, hang on, this, this just isn't how it works. And the same policies were continued by his son, Henry III. And so it's in the reign of Henry III that Robin grows up. Um, he may have been born under King John. He, he's one of the things that you might not recognise about him if you've met the, the medieval legendary hero is that he does seem possibly to be older than okay. he appeared in some of these films. Um, well, Kevin Costner but, was notorious for running around in his middle age pretending to be in his 20s, wasn't he? So perhaps... But, yeah, the, I guess maybe that's what Robin Hood was doing. He was in his middle age. <laughs> Pretending to be in his 20s. Um, but, yeah, so Henry III um, also has this thing about Magna Carta, um, mm. where he he issues Magna Carta, but then doesn't abide by it. And he also issues another charter called the Charter of the Forest, which is supposed to replace all the old forest laws that were so repressive. But again, he doesn't abide by it. And so there are repeated rebellions under Henry III. They're just not as famous today yeah. as the rebellion of, against King John. In terms of the forests, is that um, are you referring to? They're all royal land, aren't they? Is that the, yeah. the old statutes basically say that all the forest land belongs to the king? Yeah, that's right. So the sort of medieval definition of a forest really is a, a hunting area. And uh, they belong to the king. And then around the forest, there are often areas where other people might be allowed to hunt if they have special permission. Um, and the king sometimes will give gifts to people. You know, he'll say, such and such a follower of mine is allowed to hunt a deer. And so, you know, then you'll have a hunt. But it's in the royal control. And so that's that's the gift of the king. And so Robin, simply by hunting the deer, is completely undermining the authority of the king, because these are, you know, this is something the king controls quite jealously. Mm. Do we know how he became, because uh, he's a famous outlaw, isn't he, the character? How did he become an outlaw? Do any of the sources tell us this? Was it basic thievery or was it something else that sort of dragged him off off? off the beaten track before he then starts robbing rich people to give it to the poor? Well, according to Walter Bauer, who's um, a chronicler writing in about 1420, Robin was a supporter of one of the rebels, the, the, the sort of great rebel of the 13th century, was Simon de Montfort. And Simon de Montfort, he was actually married to King Henry's sister. 
but he fell out massively with the king and he became the spearhead of the cause of the barons against the king. And so he led the barons against the king, captured the king, held the king in captivity and the king's son, um, Prince Edward or Lord Edward, who later becomes King Edward I. And they kind of pass new laws and have government by council and by parliament. And so this is where many people see English democracy beginning. And Robin was one of um, Simon's supporters, according to Walter Bauer. And then in 1265, Edward escapes, rallies a whole army against Simon and defeats him. Simon is killed, but some of his supporters refuse to accept royal authority. And they are all outlawed en masse. Ah, so we think he was one of those. Well, that's what Walter Bauer says. He's, you know, he singles out Robin Hood amongst the outlaws as one of the ones that he names who was, who was outlawed at that time. And, and he says that he was on the Isle of Ely. And lo and behold, there is in fact a legal record of the people who were on the Isle of Ely who refused to accept the royal um, authority. And the, the king did offer terms, but uh, a great number of people refused them. And one of them is called Robert Hood. And Brilliant. So, yeah. uh, the, so at the Isle of Ely, this is the, this is Cambridgeshire, this is the fens before they drained it, right? That's right, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yes, he's real. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I I, so some people say, oh, well, it, it, it's probably not the right Robin Hood. But it matches. You know, why should it not be the right Robin Hood? I'm and, with- you know, I mean, you, you can you can be sceptical and, and that makes sense. It's always good to be sceptical. But when things actually line up, then you're not just being sceptical anymore. You're, you're kind of being a naysayer. And so to me, this, this looks very much like, like one of the pieces of evidence where things do come together that you can say, well, that seems to suggest that we're onto something here. Yeah. Sometimes the simplest explanation is just the simplest explanation. Yeah. And if there wasn't a Robin Hood, Hmm. then actually explaining where the legend comes from it's not impossible but it's harder if you don't actually have a person to pin the legend around absolutely and with things like ballads and they are to celebrate history they're a cultural passing down of history you don't just i i would be tempted to say why would you have made up a story like that when you can tell the story of someone who you've heard about that is that was real yeah, and I think there's there are certain things about the Robin Hood story that you know it's the sort of the taking from the rich, giving to the poor, and the idea that he represents a sort of a challenge to royal authority. He's and the idea that he's courteous and good as well. And mm. these are these are words that are associated with him a lot in the medieval sources. This idea of the good outlaw. Yeah. Um, 
that's something that is very strong today. And we always want to see outlaws as Robin Hood figures. Mm. Um, Sometimes they just dicks. Yeah. <laughs> Usually. Yeah. Usually they are. But, the, you know, this idea of the good outlaw, I think it may well come from, from Robin Hood, from someone who, who really was trying to make a, a point that's sort of a political point in a way and, and sort of a social point, a wider social point. Let's talk about location. So obviously the first place we think of when we think of Robin Hood is Sherwood Forest when we hear his name yeah. and Nottingham. Um, yeah. Are there any other, but you've mentioned Ely, there are other locations. Is Yorkshire one of them that are, are heavily connected to him? Yeah, yeah. So um, in fact, some people have have kind of tried to say, oh no, he's not nothing to do with Nottingham, nothing to do with Sherwood. He's just from Yorkshire, from this area of Yorkshire called Barnsdale. So I'm not I'm not going to make that a case because the earliest sources do talk about Sherwood, they do talk about Nottingham, and they talk about the Sheriff of Nottingham too. And it's um, not unheard of, it wouldn't be unheard of for the people of Barnsdale to have jigged the ballad a bit to make it like the location reference, like relevant to them, is it? I I think the the Barnsdale thing is strong enough that that's also an essential part of the early legend. Mm. Um, so sometimes it, it seems that that Barnsdale in, in the early sources is much more strongly associated with Robin Hood than Sherwood is. Mm. And if you look at Robin Hood place names, then they are more likely to be further north in Yorkshire and so on. There, there are some in, in Nottinghamshire too, but um, the place name evidence sort of suggests that um, there's a, a strong... Yorkshire tradition and then there are places in the jest that are named that go right up to um, parts of Yorkshire that are in the sort of north west of Yorkshire some of which are now in Lancashire in fact so you know it's it's quite a big area that the legend spans Hey I'm Ryan Reynolds recently I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation they said yes and then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts they said what the f- are you talking about you insane hollywood ass so to recap we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch $45 upfront for 3 months plus taxes and fees promo rate for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com quality sleep is essential that's why the sleep number smart bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature sleep number smart beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in store. And now save fifty percent on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For JD Power twenty twenty three award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. dot com. Hmm. This in terms of places that he's supposed to be living, places that he's supposed to be carrying out his his robbing yeah well the the legend very much has him operating in barnsdale i'd say that's kind of where you're most likely to be accosted by robin hood 
And um, so in The Jest, it's where he meets the knight, who's a central character in The Jest. And there's a ballad called Robin Hood and the Bishop of Hereford, which was once seen as one of the central stories of the Robin Hood tradition. And Robin Hood's tree where he gets the bishop to dance around in his riding boots. That's in Barnsdale. And and so the tree actually stood in Barnsdale until I think it's the 1700s. And um, I believe the site is still known to this day. That's amazing. That's now like a pilgrimage site I've got to go to. Uh, talk to us about when he lived in the forest. What do the sources tell us? I, we have this um, impression, don't we, of this merry band living in in amongst the trees um, and having a whale of a time, not abiding by any rules or social hierarchy. Is this accurate? Not quite. Not, not as the medieval legend presents yeah. him. So Hollywood likes to have this sort of sense of chaotic fun around him and that's great you know it really works in the films but the medieval poems or ballads have a much more courtly feel and Robin has 140 liveried retainers so he makes sure that they're well dressed in Lincoln green he makes sure that you know they have the right clothes and this isn't a cheap cloth either this is expensive stuff they're wearing and he always greets people with courtesy and this is a you know this is a major part of of what he's about and when his men come in in the ballads um it doesn't actually happen in in the ballads that survived from before 1500 but it may well be that the Tradition goes back that far anyway. But the men come in and they immediately bow to Robin. And when the king visits Robin in the Greenwood, then he sees Robin's men and they come in. Actually, hang on, I might need to. I maybe should check this. It's all right if I just have a quick. Yeah, of course. I can check what it says, because I think that they do come in and bow to him in the jest. Um, Robin took a great big horn and loudly did he blow. Seven score of brave young men came ready in a row. They all kneeled down upon their knees before Robin full fair. The king said softly to himself and to himself did swear. Here is a seemly sight by God that is both fair and fine. His men are more at his bidding than my men are at mine. That's right. There's a very sort of like Game of Thrones um, with the bannermen and the groups that sort of have their allegiance to a lord and they've all got their uniforms and they're all well dressed and they're all like, they're, it's like a proper outfit. It's not just a load of raggedy peasants having a blast in the forest, is it? That's right. And so Robin's men are, are they're like courtiers mm. and they come to him and they treat him as their lord. And so it's not, you know, it's not just a bunch of mates having fun in the woods. It's much more about setting up a a kind of alternative court in a way. And this links with the idea of Robin as representing the rebel cause. So by holding this court in the woods that has no interest in what the king is up to, but they still have this, these sort of symbols of society, of, of high society around them. Um, 
and they have a they have a lodge as well, so they're not completely in the in the wilds, although they do seem to sleep outdoors. So it's a it's a sort of mixed thing that you get from the legends. You've mentioned the men. Um, how real are they? I was mean, talking about characters like Will Scarlet, my childhood fascination with Christian Slater uh, when that film came out. <laughs> and Little John, you've mentioned that we'd recognise him. So he obviously occurs in the sources. So of the men, who who would we recognise and who is, is taken from the medieval legends that we've come to know? Well, Little John, um, is, he's still the most important second character. And he appears in the medieval sources as Robin Hood's second in command. And that's sort of quite clear in um, in all three medieval sort of ballad sources. And Little John is also the only one who's mentioned in um, in two 15th century chronicles. But then there are other characters who are referenced as well, and, and in particular Will Scarlet. Um, and much the miller's son. So those are the, those are the three merry men that we sort of get to meet. Mm. Um, and they're still the central merry men, really, aren't they? I mean, yeah. when you think, who are they? Well, you might bring in Alan Adale too. Um, but he's very much a sort of secondary character. Once you've, once you've got Robin Hood, Little John, Will Scarlock, much the miller's son, that's your, central bunch of characters and you know there's a whole load of others as well yeah what about Maid Marian people are going to kill me if I don't ask that question I know we didn't put it in the questions that we sort of prepared beforehand no. if you don't ask this people will go nuts is Maid Marian real like in medieval law it people are more disappointed about this than anything Maid Marian is not an original part of the Robin Hood legend it doesn't bother me it doesn't oh, bother you. Okay. Well, yeah, I must some people. That. Really I think there's lots of people out there weeping at this this revelation. So she's uh, not at all. She does have her own medieval tradition. Oh, okay. Um, so there's a a play of Robin and Marion, Jeu de Robin and, et Marion, um, that is written by a poet called Adam de la Halle, um, and that's actually comes from around the time of Robin Hood, not not long after the time of Robin Hood. And Robin in that is a shepherd. He, so he, he's a shepherd boy and his lover is Marion. And it's a sort of pastoral idyll thing about these two um, young people. And it's all rather sweet and charming, but it's not Robin Hood. Oh well, I like I say that doesn't bother me so much. As long as Robin's real, I can I can take this. Uh, I want to talk to you about your research. What is the possible link between? See, this is where I was referencing that Kevin Costner might not be completely wrong because in that film, Robin, mm-hmm. Robin's origins are quite high up, and we're going to get into this now because you think there is a possible link between Robin Hood and the Earls of Huntingdon. Is that right? Yeah, I do. And, um, of course, this isn't a surprise to people who know the legend, mm. but all the people who study the legend say, oh, well, the bit with the Earl of Huntington, that's obviously made up and nonsense. Um, but I don't think it is. So the conventional wisdom is that um, because it's not mentioned in any of the earliest ballads and it's 
first mentioned as sort of the earldom of Huntingdon in plays from around 1600 by a guy called Anthony Munday. The idea is that Munday actually just made it up. He wanted Robin to have some sort of aristocratic heritage. And so he made him Earl of Huntingdon. But before Monday, there's um, a poet called William Warner, who wrote, who wrote a poem called Albion's England. And in that, he refers to Robin Hood as a county, um, which seems very puzzling. Albion's England is a deliberately puzzling poem. It's a sort of riddling poem. Mm. And one part of the riddle is Robin Hood. So, you know, he's, Robin Hood is the answer to part of the riddle. And he's introduced as a county. And of course, what could that mean? Well, Huntingdonshire is a county. Oh, and, yeah. And so all the earldoms and so on, they're all named after counties. Mm. And this is, this appears to be what he's driving at. And of course, because it's a riddle, it wouldn't make sense unless there was no doubt in the minds of the people that he was writing for. It would have that, to be a known fact, wouldn't it? Yeah. You have to think Robin Hood. Oh, yeah, he's the Earl of. And he doesn't, of course, tell us where he's the Earl of. But you'd have to know which county he was. And then before that as well, there's a guy called Richard Grafton who writes a book called The Chronicle at Large. And he says that. Robin Hood has noble um, noble parentage. And then he gets a bit confused, actually. And he, he sort of says, but it's also base parentage. And so you've got this odd sort of thing going on mm. where um, he's trying to give two, two things, both noble and base. And there's one ballad which is not recorded early. It's not recorded until... Um, about 1800, in fact. Mm. But that doesn't mean, of course, that it wasn't sung before then. It just was never written down. Yeah. So one of the earliest sources for this ballad is a woman um, called Anna Gordon, also known as Mrs. Brown of Falkland. And she wrote to Walter Scott, and uh, she says, if I can remember it, it's, she says, there was never any of my songs printed until you printed them yourself. And knew uh, you have killed them utterly because she felt that these songs should never have been written down at all. Yeah. That, you know, that wasn't the point. These are oral songs that are passed down. And by writing them, you kill them because they're no longer living in the mouths of the people. Yeah. And anyway, this ballad, The Birth of Robin Hood, in her version, um, Robin is the illegitimate son of an earl's daughter which would another base parentage and the high parentage that's right yes um so it's a serving man is her father and uh the earl's daughter is her mother uh, sorry his mother um and um another version of it actually names him as the earl of huntingdon How? so according to this song you've got where he fits in so if this is true, who is his uncle and why is this significant? Well, well, Robin's uncle is um, John, Earl of Huntingdon. Mm. Um, and, and that's significant because 
he dies in 1237 and the earldom becomes vacant. So that's quite unusual. Yeah. Um, and it's quite possible that one of the reasons the earldom becomes vacant and is uncontested is that you have this thing where Robin is um, the rightful heir, but as the son of a commoner, people might just have thought it was beyond the pale that he, this ordinary man's son, should become a noble earl. And so that that's his uncle, but also his mother's uncle is Randolph Earl of Chester who is the man that is named alongside Robin Hood in the very first reference. And so it suddenly ties these things together that that here you have Robin Hood and Randolph Earl of Chester again. I love it. This is just vindicating my hero. It's brilliant. So this makes him rather royal, doesn't it? And what's why is that interesting, given who the first people to record him are? Right, well, yes, because the Earls of Huntingdon were descended from the Scottish kings. King David I of Scotland was Earl of Huntingdon. And so the earls after him were his son and grandson. And so Robin himself is also descended from Scottish kings. Not only that, but his um, his family become the ancestors of later Scottish kings. So his half-sister becomes the mother of John Balliol, who is appointed as King of Scots by Edward I. And his aunt becomes the great-great-something grandmother of Robert the Bruce. That is amazing. And just finally, because I love this, this means, if this is all true, it means that he's related to the awful Sheriff of Nottingham. Yes, because his sister's husband is John Balliol, Sheriff of Nottingham. And he turns out to be one of the most unscrupulous and greedy men in medieval England and the contemporary chronicler Matthew Paris has paragraphs about how awful John Balliol is. But there's another thing about that, which is that there's a ballad from the 1400s, Robin Hood and the Potter, in which Robin goes to see the sheriff in disguise and he's welcomed by the sheriff's wife. And the sheriff's wife invites him to come and eat with them. And then Robin tricks the sheriff to going off into the forest. And there Robin robs the sheriff and sends him back. But he sends him back with a beautiful horse for his wife. And he sends him back. Well, well, before he left Nottingham, he gave the sheriff's wife a gold ring. And he also gave her five pots. And so he's full of gifts for the sheriff's wife. And he says what a good woman she is. And this has really puzzled everyone. But it's no puzzle if you know that she's his sister. Of course, he's going to treat her like that. 
just been absolutely wonderful. I feel like my childhood's been semi-vindicated. Uh, I just, I willingly believe everything you say because I want him to be real so badly. Uh, you have written a book, haven't you? It's called The Original Robin Hood. Tell us about it because it's really interesting because it shares all of these sources, doesn't it? Yep. So here's the book, The Original Robin Hood. And um, it has all the medieval sources. So it's got the the jest of Robin Hood. It's got the ballad of Robin Hood and the monk and the ballad of Robin Hood and the potter. And then it's got a whole lot of other sources, a whole lot of ballads in particular that probably or possibly go back to medieval sources. There is a huge number of ballads about Robin Hood. And some of them you can say with great confidence are not medieval. So all the ones that I've put in look to me as if they may well actually have medieval roots. And some people might debate some of them, but, you know, these are the ones that I think, yeah, you can say those may well have medieval roots. Um, and then there are also other things. There are legal records that may relate to Robin Hood. Some of them, I think, do. Some of them possibly do. And there are other things like proverbs and so on about Robin Hood and with dates on them. And the chronicles from the Middle Ages are all translated in there. It's all in modern English as well. That's important to say, because that's that's kind of why I wanted to do the book, because these things are available, but they're basically available in in the English that was spoken 600 years ago. Mm. And that's not easy for most people to get their heads around. I mean, I think that most most people probably, if they want to put in the work, can do it. It's going to be like reading Shakespeare without the crib notes, isn't it? Oh, it's much harder than reading Shakespeare. Yeah, yeah. going 200 years so, further back, aren't you? Yeah, and, and those 200 years are crucial as well. So Shakespeare is classified as modern English. Yeah. And the Robin Hood stuff is not modern English. Well, no, it's in that 100 years, you've got the decline of the Catholic Church and Latin, presumably. So you're going back to a point where it's far more influential. Yeah, well, indeed, some of the sources are translated from Latin because, mm. you know, that was um, that was the language of educated people at the time. Yeah. Um, so the chronicles, um, yeah, two of the chronicles, are, you know, three of the chronicles are translated from Latin. In fact, let's go on the Chronicles. There's one point that we missed that you did ask me about, and I didn't include it in my answer, yeah. which is that the the reason that the Scottish King's Link seems to tie things together is that the chroniclers, the first three chroniclers that actually mention Robin Hood, are all Scots, and that just seems like such an odd thing. Why would this English outlaw be of such interest to Scottish chroniclers and seemingly of less interest to English chroniclers. And of course, if he's actually linked to the Scottish royal family, then that answers that question. They never actually say he is, but for some reason, they're really interested in Robin Hood. I just, as I said, I think Robin Hood is very subjective, isn't it? And, but I wholly embrace every one of your suggestions. <laughs> I want them all to be true. And I Thank hope you. you're right. Right. 
so much for coming on. I've been dying to do a Robin Hood episode and you contacted us and I was just like, yep, I'm there. Don't need anyone else with me. I just want to get my Robin Hood on uh, and indulge myself. So thank you very much for joining us. We will make the book available via our History Hack bookshop page, uh, which means that not only does Thor get sales and you get to find out about Robin Hood, but History Hack gets a cut as well, which we love. And it cuts Amazon out because nobody likes Amazon, even though we're all completely beholden to them. So thank you so much, Thor. Thank you very much. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.